Our gospel for today is from Matthew, the 14th chapter. Now, when Jesus heard about the beheading of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, they saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Earlier this month, my family and I took a trip down to Portland, Oregon. And while we were down there, we had the opportunity to visit OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, which growing up was one of my favorite places to go. It was a very cool place. Now, OMSI currently has this really neat exhibit on orca whales and their importance in Native American heritage. They highlighted one orca pod in particular, a J-pod, which was a huge pod of these orca whales that scientists have been following for a long time. And after reading about them and learning about them, I soon understood why indigenous peoples of the Northwest revere orcas so widely and highly. Orca pods, first of all, contain more than just immediately family members. These pods are whole family communities. They consist not only of mom, dad, kids, but also grandparents, great-grandparents, and sometimes aunts, uncles, and cousins. And they all stick together throughout their lives and rely on one another to take care of and provide for the whole pod. In addition, through studying this pod of orcas, there were some unique discoveries made. First, DNA testing showed that one of the orcas was actually not related to the pod by blood. The orca community adopted this lone orca into their family, welcomed it as one of their own. Second, when an older female orca had difficulty with a birth, the baby orca actually got stuck in the birthing canal, the other orcas actually became midwives and came up and using their teeth very gently pulled the orca out of the mother and both mom and baby were just fine. Third, this one you might have heard about on the news a while back, when another mother's orca baby died just minutes after it was born, the mother carried the dead calf for 17 days, over 1,000 miles. And instead of abandoning her or leaving her behind, the pod traveled with her, helped her, supported her, brought her food while she grieved the loss of her child. And finally, fourth, it is estimated that the oldest member 
of this pod called Granny lived to be 106 years old. She was the matriarch who taught the pod how to do things, was the leader of the pod. You know, similarly, in Native American tribes, it's the grandmothers who are revered as having wisdom and are considered the great storytellers that pass on the sacred stories and the wisdom of the ancestors. There are a lot of things I think that we could learn from orcas. They support one another in their grief. They work together to provide for and care for the family. They can feel called to care for and adopt those who are not part of their immediate family members. And they tend to do better and live longer in community. I think this emphasis on being in community and relying on one another to love and care and support one another is one of the basic overall messages of scripture and is certainly highlighted in today's readings. Isaiah first lifts up this beautiful image of the future of not only God's people, but the whole world. Isaiah writes, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. God will provide for God's people in abundance. No one will be hungry or thirsty anymore. And God's covenant to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the people of Israel is now extended to include the whole world. To remind you of what this covenant entails, God promised land, representing a home. God promised descendants, representing a family or a place to belong. And God promised livestock and wealth, representing an abundance, meant to be shared and used to care for and provide for the family as well as those in need. All are cared for and all have what they need. Our gospel lesson, of course, emphasizes abundance and providing for those in need as well. But the difference here is that Jesus uses what people already have, the gifts they've been giving, to do great things. Just five loaves and two fish are brought forward and Jesus feeds the people in abundance with these gifts. Now initially, the disciples tell Jesus to send these people away so that they can buy food for themselves. Something I probably would have suggested as well, looking at the sheer number of people that we would have to provide for. However, Jesus is aware of two important facts. First, as you know, there are many people in the multitude have come to Jesus because this is their last resort. Many of them probably wouldn't be able to afford to buy food for themselves, even if they had money. And second, if there were truly over 5,000 people in this multitude, nearby towns wouldn't have enough bread, produce, etc., to sell to even a fraction of these people. So again, several of them would go hungry. So instead, Jesus tells the disciples that they should feed the people. I think it's significant to note that Jesus didn't say, no worries, guys, I got this. The goal for Jesus is not to show off, to be the best, to impress everyone. Jesus wants to lift up the benefit of people working together in community to solve problems, to use the gifts and the resources they have to help care for each other in community. Now, if I were one of the disciples and I saw what we had, I too would have fallen into the trap of, but all we have is this. There's no way this is enough. We can't make this work. And if the disciples hadn't been with God in the flesh, who knows what would have happened? 
But the fact is, they trusted Jesus. They used the gifts that people had, as meager as they were. And with very little, God provided a great feast for all the people. Everyone ate their fill, and there was still food left over. Now, there are many lessons that can be taken from this story. God can do great things with very little. God always provides in abundance and cares for the poor. Jesus can do great miracles and amazing things. But one of the lessons I do not believe is true is that if you have enough faith that God will somehow fix all of your problems. And so for me, what really spoke was to me was that God created humans to be in community with one another, to work together to solve problems, to support and help one another, to care for one another, to share in our joys and our sorrows. And through working together in community, God can and does do amazing things through us. Along the same vein of the importance of being in community, I also found the beginning of our gospel to be very significant as well. At first, Jesus is saddened at the loss of his cousin John, who died. Jesus was grieving, maybe even feeling somewhat responsible for John's death since John was imprisoned for sharing the good news about Jesus in the first place. So Jesus gets on a boat and goes off to a solitary place to be alone and to grieve. Now, I don't know about you, But when I'm sad or grieving, I may feel like I want to be alone with my pain and grief. I try to shut out the world. I don't want to burden people with my heavy heart and with all the things that I'm going through. But that is often the opposite of what I need. What I usually need in those times is for someone I trust and love and who loves me to surround me, comfort me, just be with me. Otherwise, I can get swallowed up by that grief and sadness for a really long time. And I wonder if that's why Jesus didn't turn away from the crowds when they found him or tell them to, tell them to leave them alone. Instead, Jesus said that he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Well, I know that God never turns anyone away. God always hears our cries and pleas. As a human, I wonder if in this case, Jesus needed the crowd and the disciples just as much as they needed him. Thinking back to that orca pod, so often we think about nature and wild animals as survival of the fittest mentality, eat or be eaten, so to speak. And yes, there are some animals who do that and use that, But it is unfortunate today that our culture so often lifts up the survival of the fittest mentality. We see this in the corporate world where competitive atmospheres are lifted up to weed out the least productive members. We see this in some academic circles where you need to be the best and prove yourself because only those who are the best will get into the best schools. And when COVID first hit, we saw the ugliness of greed and caring for self instead of neighbor with empty store shelves from people hoarding toilet paper of all things. There is often this go-it-alone mentality, the idea that you have to prove yourself to others to impress them, to climb the social ladder, to be a successful person in life. However, the idea that If you can live by yourself, provide for yourself, and strive, survive by yourself, then somehow you've achieved something great, doesn't necessarily add up to love and respect and inclusion. 
the myth that you have to be tough and not show feelings or weakness because you can't rely on anyone else, that feeling often comes from being hurt by the world in the first place. I admit that I bought into this competitive, you have to do it all yourself mentality early on in high school and have since learned that this is a bunch of baloney. If we follow the example of orcas, of Jesus, we will find that it is much healthier to be a part of a community, to lift up one another and care for each other, and to not feel ashamed when we have to rely on others and ask for help when we need it. Imagine for a moment what would it look like if the entire world thought and functioned this way, emphasizing community, helping those in need, working together to provide for each other, to help, for one, an- help one another, lifting one another up, and not letting egos, competition, and the survival of the fittest mentality get in the way. Imagine how different our world would be, how many problems that might solve. Would we still have starving people in the world? Would there still be homelessness? Would people be able to provide for their families working only one job instead of three? Would people who are disabled or struggling in mind, body, or spirit have the support they need and not just survive but thrive in our society? Would people not be ashamed to ask for help when they need it? I realize this is an oversimplification of the facts, a utopian dream of sorts. I know life is not so simple. There are always complex situations and problems that can and do complicate things. After all, orcas don't have to worry about politics and religion. But I do think we have created a culture that focuses more on success and lifts up self-preservation instead of working together to support one another in community. And I think we are poorer for it. Because I truly believe that when we come together to love and support one another, to share our resources and gifts, no matter how small or insignificant they may seem to us, and work together in community, that's when everyone wins, and we truly see glimpses of the kingdom of God. Amen.